I've been really quite challenged about 2020 vision. <laughs> you know that um, if you have perfect sight, it's called 2020 vision. And I think that's what we need. We may have physical eyesight, it isn't 2020, but in terms of looking upon our lives and upon the world, we just need that 2020 vision about how God sees situations and uh, circumstances and so on, what his purposes are, what's his vision, which is, of course, 2020. In a moment or two, we're going to be looking at um, uh, a passage of scripture where Jesus performs his first miracle. When Jesus started his ministry, if you read Luke's gospel, he, he begins his ministry in the synagogue in Nazareth. And he takes the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he starts to read from it. And he starts to say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news for the poor, recovery of sight for the blind, and so on. He speaks his manifesto. This is what I'm here to do. This is what it's all about. This is what the kingdom's about. Now today, we're not going to hear that passage, but we're going to see Jesus demonstrating that passage at the start of his ministry. Because it's exactly the same message. This is what he's come to do. This miracle sets the scene for what Jesus was going to do in his life and in his death and resurrection. So let's read this familiar passage together. Mark, John chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. I'm using the New Living Translation for those who are interested in that sort of thing. The wedding at Cana. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby, were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, 
not knowing where it had come from, although, of course, the servants knew. He called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Caponium for a few days with his mother, his brothers and his disciples. Thanks be to God. Just going to sing one more song before we explore that passage together. And the first line of the song tells you why I chose it. Water you turned into wine. Let's stand together. Water he turned into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. None like you. Into the darkness you shine. you shine out of the ashes we rise there's no
was for us Then who could ever stop us And if our God is with us Then what could stand against And if our God is for us Then who could ever stop us And if our God is with us Then what could stand against Our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other, our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God, our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher. Please be seated. <clears throat> so this is our passage for today, and this is our title. I found it intriguing as to why that title comes for the passage today, but we tried to work with it. We're talking here into John's Gospel, and before we go any further, we have to understand that of all the Gospels, John's Gospel is, is different. It's written much later, but it's a Gospel that, where um, John is reflecting back after many years on the ministry of Jesus, and it's full of symbolism. You can't just take things as they stand. They have special significance. And we need to understand the culture of the time. We also need to understand that in Hebrew language, numbers are significant. And they have meaning. And numbers and letters are connected together. Nothing is there by chance. And every word is there for a reason. And so this first miracle in time and significance is a clue to all the others and to the ministry of Jesus and to the kingdom of God. So let's dig into this well-known story and see what it tells us about starting with Jesus to understand God's kingdom. What do we find? Well, the third day. The third day, a wedding takes place. The third day was the third day of the week, Tuesday. It was actually a day on which many traditional Jews got married, and they still do today. Why do they do that? Well, it's because it's linked to the third day of creation. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Now, what do you notice? 
What do you notice about this third day in creation from what we've just read? How was it different to all the other days? Pardon? There's a lot going on. A lot going on, yeah. Land appeared. Land appeared. Actually, it's the only day where God, where it says, and God saw that it was good twice. <laughs> right? Twice. It was a day which was twice blessed. See, couples wanted their marriage to be twice blessed and to be fruitful. So they chose to marry on the third day. And Jesus performs his first miracle at a wedding on the third day. A day that also is about seed bearing and fruitfulness. It says something about the ministry of Jesus and the kingdom of God. The kingdom is about double blessing and fruitfulness. And Jesus' ministry is about blessing people, giving to people. It's about grace. That blessing that we sometimes use from Numbers chapter 6, talking about the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, is all about blessing us with security, a sense of self-worth and significance. And therefore, it's in the kingdom that we find our full, uh, strong sense of our identity. The third day was also connected to revelation. It was on the third day that the Lord descended on Mount Sinai and Moses led the people out of the camp to encounter the Lord. Tells us in Exodus chapter 19, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood in front of the mountain. You see, the people experienced the revelation of God's glory. They saw God. Jesus is going to be the one who would lead people to meet with God. In fact, whoever met Jesus met God. Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now for us, it's important that we encounter Jesus by revelation. We see the Holy Spirit makes him known. And we know the Father through Jesus. And just as Moses and the Israelites experienced the revelation of God's glory on the third day, so we're told that Jesus revealed his glory on the third day at the wedding of Cana in Galilee. Now, how do we understand glory? Well, we can understand it in lots of different ways. But um, a, a man called uh, Irenaeus actually said, the glory of God is a human person fully alive. See, when we're fully alive, 
We're fully human beings as God intended us to be. Just as Adam and Eve were before the fall. And Jesus' glory has something to do with being fully alive. Now, we're all living, I think we are, this morning. Uh, we've not got any dead people here, have we? But none of us are fully alive. None of us are fully vibrant with the life that God longs to give us. But in the kingdom of God, we grow into that fullness of life. We become more fully the people we were created to be. And then on the third day, it's also something to do with redemption, restoration and resurrection. Abraham offered his son Isaac on the third day. In Hosea, one of the prophets, it says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. And after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. A prophecy, actually about so many things, but primarily about the Messiah, Jesus, who would come and fulfill all that. See, something significant happens on the third day. All that Jesus is and says and does to proclaim the kingdom culminates in the resurrection of Jesus on the third day. On the third day. Do you see how somehow we get a richness from this passage if we just understand something of the language that is used. All right. Number three, third day. There's also something here about number six. <laughs> six is the number of creation. The world was created in six days. The first man and woman were created on the sixth day. In Jewish thought, Adam and Eve sinned on the sixth day, a Friday. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, in Hebrew language, the number six is represented by the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Vav. The letter Vav is used in Genesis as a conjunction, a joining word that connects heaven and earth. So we could actually say God created the heavens, vav the earth. In other words, the fall broke the vav, the connection between heaven and earth. So God, in his goodness, sent Jesus to reverse the curse in order to restore the connection between heaven and earth. Jesus is going to die on the sixth day to make atonement for the sin of the first man and woman so that the blessing we lost in Eden can be restored. Jesus came to restore the Lord's original blessing for creation that heaven and earth would be connected and that we might see heaven come on earth. 
Which is why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Connecting heaven to earth. And Jesus in every way lived out God's will on earth as it was in heaven. He embodied it. Number six again. There were six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for the ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Now, John wrote his gospel to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. The Messiah, according to the Torah and Jewish tradition, was going to be greater than Moses. As the Lord states in Deuteronomy chapter 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and I will tell them everything I command him. Now what was the first miracle that Moses performed before Pharaoh to demonstrate that he was the redeemer sent by God to deliver the people? Do you remember what it was? What was the first miracle that Moses performed in front of Pharaoh? The he turned the water of the Nile into blood. Well, that was death. Jesus, greater than Moses, turned water into wine because he did not come to bring death but so we might have life and have it more abundantly. John 10, Jesus gives us life as it was meant to be lived. I can see that you're getting excited. <laughs> now six is also the number for human beings. These stone water jars could represent human beings. Our human method of doing things, of helping others. It stands for human wisdom and effort. It's nothing but water. These jars are representative of the Jewish religion with its emphasis on external ceremonies of washing, of rituals and routines. And water was recognised by many rabbis as a symbol of the Torah, the law, the commandments, the rules, the regulations. You see, the entire Jewish system was about legalism and people were included or excluded on the basis of whether those external rules were kept or not. It was a system that placed heavy loads on people. It was oppressive and it was restrictive. It was dull, it was lifeless, and it was empty. Now Jesus comes along and he emphasizes that we are not put right with God, but we don't become righteous people by keeping external rules. Jesus' concern was to reinterpret the law, restoring it to its fullest understanding. In that Sermon on the Mount, he says, you've heard it said, 
But I say to you, and the law in the kingdom isn't about our external ceremonies. It's about what goes on in people's hearts. It's not about obedience to a set of commands. Rather about a spirit of law that actually operates in us. It's actually about grace. And we see it in Jesus' ministry, in what he said, what he did, about who he was. The end of Matthew 11, and you have to read the message translation of this to get the full meaning of it. It says, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What an invitation to the kingdom of God. This miracle establishes that. <clears throat> The jars were not full. They'd been used for the feast as people washed to become outwardly clean. So they needed to be refilled. There wasn't a constant and instant supply. The water of Jewish religion was not constant. It could refresh for a time, but it wasn't an endless supply. At the wedding, they ran out of wine and when Mary realised it she came to Jesus and she said to him they have no more wine. Now she came to Jesus because she clearly believed that Jesus could do something about it. And then we have this strange conversation between Mary and Jesus. The living trans... the um, Passion translation of verse 4 says this. My dear one, don't you understand that if I do this, it won't change anything for you, but it will change everything for me. My hour of unveiling my power has not yet come. Now, with Mary's encouragement... He's prepared to launch his ministry with his first miracle that de would declare what the whole of his ministry was going to be. And it says something important about Jesus and the kingdom. He had authority, but he did not exert his authority in a demanding or controlling way. He served people. He offered himself and his ministry to people. And although in many instances he initiated things, if you read through the Gospels, he often responded to the need and to what was in people's hearts. He didn't impose something. He responded to what people's needs were. Now, what the Jewish religion had become was woefully inadequate. 
And interpreting Mary's words for today, we could say, religion has failed, it's run out of wine. Religion's failed, it's run out of wine. The traditions of religion cannot lead us into the fullness of life as God intends. Something needed to happen. And it did. Water was turned into wine. Now it's significant that Jesus turned the water into wine. Wine is one of the primary signs of the abundant blessings of the coming kingdom. In Amos chapter 9 and verse 13, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills. By turning the water into wine, Jesus demonstrated that he was the promised prophet, the one greater than Moses, who came that we might begin to experience the abundant life of the messianic kingdom here and now through faith in him. In the, in the Bible, God had clearly directed his people to make wine a part of their festivals throughout the year, celebrating God's bounty with gratitude and joy. The Bible also clearly says in Psalm 104 that God gave wine Sorry. Wine to make people glad. And wine that gladdens the heart of man. Gladness and joy was something in the heart, not something external or superficial that could disappear. It was deeper and more substantial than pleasure. It's the wine of the spirit with the fruits of love, joy and peace. See, being in, the relation, in a relationship with Jesus, being in the kingdom, is a cause for rejoicing. Tells us in Romans 14, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, we need to go back and have a look at the joy and gratitude that Jesus brings to people. You wouldn't think it when you look at most Christians. <laughs> I remember seeing one of the Jesus films and Jesus heals, I think it's the leper, and uh, the leper discovers that he's healed. And he starts jumping up and down and laughing. And Jesus grabs hold of him and there they are jumping up and down and they're both laughing and they end up rolling on the floor with laughter. I thought, brilliant. Brilliant, because it just shows that Jesus was full of joy. We've made him so serious. How have we made our faith, our meetings, so serious, so boring, and so irrelevant so often? <laughs> Do you know, I love to see people laughing. The wine is produced in abundance. Jesus wants the jars to be filled to the brim, each jar holding between 20 and 30 gallons. So there will be between 120 and 150 gallons of wine. 
Jesus' love is so extravagant. In the kingdom there's extravagance. And the wine is the best wine. It's not the cheap wine that people would have been given later in the feast after the best wine's been drunk. This is quality wine. Kingdom living is about a, living a quality of life that is the best that it can ever be. <clears throat> life in all its fullness. The miracle is about transformation. Transformation of the water of religion into the wine of the kingdom. The transformation of the natural to the supernatural. It's a transformation of the heart. And Jesus' first miracle is symbolic of what the Lord wants to do in you. Like the water into wine, God wants to transform you from ordinary to extraordinary. As an individual, in Jesus, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Become who you're meant to be. I am a new creation. No more in condemnation. Here in the grace of God I stand. A joy that knows no limit. A lightness in my spirit. Here in the grace of God I stand. But he also wants it for his church. That the church becomes a kingdom community characterised by the spirit of joy. When I was preparing this in my devotions, I read a, a, a book and it just happened to fall on this day. And it's titled Holy Laughter. We were in the capital of Guangdong province in mainland China. There we met a pastor, Lam a 60-year-old man who cares for a house church of 800 members. His house was on a narrow street that admitted only pedestrians and bicycles. Even though the church was not government approved and not supposed to exist, people in the street, seeing we were foreigners, asked us if we were looking for Lamb's house and volunteered to show us where it was. Inside that shell of a house, smiling young people hurried to bring us tea. Lam had been imprisoned twice for his faith. His second imprisonment had lasted 25 years, doing hard labour in the mines. I asked him how he felt about it and joy poured out of him. It was wonderful, he cried. I could have been killed many times, but God preserved my life. And I wasn't injured in the mine, even though men around me were maimed and killed. I even preached there. He spoke fairly good English and described something of his life to us. But the story, fascinating as it was, was hard to concentrate on. So amazed were we by the extraordinary joy that filled and overflowed from him. Three times the police had to interrogate him during the previous two weeks, but he had laughed with genuine merriment. I will preach, he cried. They can only take me if the Lord lets them, and I will go on preaching about Jesus wherever I am. It was not bravado. It was a quality of joy we never encountered before. <sighs> oh, oh. So how do we get it? Do whatever he tells you. This is the key to entering the kingdom. The servants had to do whatever he told them to do. 
They did so. They filled the jars. They drew some out and took it to the master of the banquet. The instructions were specific and as a result there was an abundance of the best wine. And if we want to experience the abundant life of the kingdom, then we have to do whatever he tells us. Believing that he wants the very best for us. We need to be able to hear his voice. We can hear him in a variety of ways. Through the Bible, through other people, through things in the environment around us, in the ordinary course of life. We have to be sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and act on what he says. But to do so, we have to be able to make connections between what we see and what we hear and Jesus. And much of Jesus' teaching arose in the same way. See, that's exciting. You can go out from this place this morning and you can start to see things and you think, oh, I wonder if God might be saying something to me through that. It's thrilling when we see God move in our own and in other people's lives. Have you got a grasp of what the kingdom's like? If I actually gave you an, a test this morning, before you could leave, you had to tell me ten characteristics of the kingdom of God, would you be able to do it? Sue's nodding her head, yes. So we'll start with you, Sue, okay? <laughs> be careful we're not just hearing, but we're not really listening. In a moment or two, we're going to uh, come to communion. I did, wondered about actually getting us to sing a song, an old song by Graham Kendrick. And these are some of the words of it. Come on in and taste the new wine, the wine of the kingdom. Here is healing and forgiveness, the wine of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. He longs to do much more than our faith has yet allowed, to thrill us and surprise us with his sovereign power. His invitation comes to us, it's yours and it is mine. That's the invitation this morning. It's the invitation to communion. Do you know that dull routine thing that we do every so often in church? Where we focus on our sin. Actually, let's focus on the wine of the kingdom this morning. Shall we? Yeah? So the invitation comes to us. It's yours and it is mine to come to this table. But before we do that, we're going to sing a song. Which is about all my days I will sing this song of gladness. gladness. And you are allowed to sing it.